Hey friends, well, this stinks. This is not ideal. I already, we've only missed one week. I gotta be honest for me, it feels like months already. I long for the gathered church and I'm thankful for technology that we can use, but even the most sophisticated, which we don't have, but even the most sophisticated technology can never come close to replacing the corporate gathering of the people of God. But in God's providence, we trust it is wise and good. Even if we don't have all the answers, this is what we have. So we are going to do our part to do what we can to remain faithful. And for us, that means we're just going to continue to walk through the book of Romans as we've been doing for this year. And this morning, we are in the deep end of the pool yet again. I've told you that Romans 9 to 11 is often ignored by teachers and preachers because it is weighty. So we're in the deep end, put on your floaties. Romans 9 to 11 is extremely dense, extremely debated. It makes me think of a comment by Mark Twain. He said this, he said, the researches of many commentators have already thrown much darkness on the subject and it is probable that if they continue, we shall soon know nothing at all about it. (laughs) So these these are weighty, weighty chapters. And I'm going to show, I'm going to lay out my reading of this very complicated chapter, but I want you to be like good Bereans. Do you remember those Bereans? They're in Acts chapter 17 and the Bible there says that they were more noble and they examined the scripture to see if these things were so. So stick your nose in the text and keep it there. Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11 really is one long sustained argument which is why we're going to take a bigger chunk than we normally do so that we can grasp the point that God through the Spirit has for us. We want to keep the big picture here, and the big picture is that God is faithful to his promises. It's really that. And so let's keep that in mind as we plod through some really dense material here. I think this is, I really think this is one of the densest chapters in the whole New Testament. So buckle up as we dive in. Let's not lose the forest as we walk through the trees. God's faithful to his promises. Well, last time we were in Romans 11, 1 to 10, we asked the question, is God totally, Paul asked the question, is God totally done with Israel? He asked, can any Jew be saved? And we saw that there was a resounding yes. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. We saw from 9 and again in 11, 1 to 10 that God never intended to save the nation as a whole, only those whom he chose, only a remnant, to use the language there of those 10 verses. Well, as we move in this next section of Romans 11, the question becomes, can and how will any more Jewish people be saved? So first, let's consider the driving question of this whole section, and it's in Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Look at it with me. So I ask... Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. So that's a driving question. I like the way a couple of paraphrases puts it. One is the Common English Bible. It puts it this way, paraphrases the verse. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Or a translation called The Voice says this. So I ask, did God's people stumble and fall off the deep end? That's the question Paul's getting at. And it's really the same thing that he's already asked, right? Look again at verse one of chapter 11. He says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? Well, it's the same question. Is God done? Well, the answer was no. And the answer is gonna be no this morning. It's also how this whole section of nine to 11 started. Look at chapter nine, verse six. It's not as though the word of God has failed. 
For not all who are descended from Israel actually belong to Israel. And so Paul wants to show, Paul needs to show, God is not done with ethnic Israel. And remember, they had good reason to think so. It was a legitimate question, one that doubtless many in that day were asking. Paul himself, at the very end of chapter 10, had said that all day long God had held out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Speaking of the Jews, in Matthew chapter 8, our Lord says this, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus had told the Jewish people in Matthew chapter 21, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Jesus had pleaded with the Jews in Matthew 23, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and yet you were not willing. Or Pilate, he wanted to let Jesus go. And the Jewish people said, let him be crucified. And Pilate, this pagan leader, literally washing his hands and says, this is on you. This is not on me. And astonishingly, Matthew says, all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. And Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? And astoundingly, the Jewish people reply in John 19, we have no king but Caesar. And then, of course, the book of Acts ends with Paul telling the Jews that their hearts were dull and now, quote, this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And these passages could be multiplied. So the question, has Israel fallen beyond recovery, is a legitimate question. It's a good question. It's a very real concern in the first century. And in Romans 11, Paul shows that God has kept for himself a remnant. And now he's going to explain the manner in which he's going to save that remnant. So before we dive in further, I want you to see something. I want you to notice an abundance of what we call time indicators in this chapter. Most interpreters today, or at least many, think that this chapter is about the future. I actually don't think this chapter is about the future for a few reasons. One of which is the amount of times he tells us it's not about the future. Let me just read a few verses to see that Paul's focus on the first century not the 21st century or beyond. Let me just read these. 11.1, again, has God rejected his people? By no means, Paul says, for I myself am an Israelite. So Paul, in the first century, is proof that God's not rejected Israel. He's saying, hey, look here at me now. Look at 11 verse 5. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant. He's talking about the present time, his presence. Uh, 11.13, now. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. 11.13 again, he says, I, Paul says, I magnify my ministry. He's talking about his ministry in first century Rome. Chapter 11, verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of the disobedience. Or the next verse, 11.31, he says it twice. So they now, have they now been disobedient? By the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And so again and again and again, Paul tells us he's talking about the now, his now. So he's not talking about the future, he's talking about the present. 
And it's about salvation being available to Jews in his day. And Paul is warning the Gentile Christians in Rome in his day. And so the audience, it applied to his audience. That's the point as we, as we work through this. So number two, God's plan to save. Look again at Romans eleven eleven. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." So let me summarize this. God's plan is that through Israel's rejection, Gentiles would be saved, which will make the Jews jealous and lead to some of them being saved. And this jealousy is not a sinful kind of jealousy. It's the good kind of jealousy. They would have a desire to have for themselves that which someone else has. I wonder, friends, if your neighbors see your life in Christ and have any sort of jealousy. Here in the midst of a pandemic, we have an opportunity before us to handle it differently than the world, to handle it with peace and not panic, to handle it with a way that might provoke questions from our unbelieving neighbors. Why are you glad that your family's together and your kids are at home? Why are you not worried? How are you still calm? How are you still joyful? We can say, because when the world crumbles all around, we stand on solid rock. Psalm 46, 2, we will not fear though the earth gives way. When darkness comes, we won't be shaken because we stand in his love. We trust in a good and sovereign God. And so we can provoke questions and cause people to be jealous for the stability that we have, even if everything around us becomes unstable. That's what he's saying. The Jews would see Gentiles glorying in salvation. They would see Gentiles glorying in their Messiah. They would become jealous. And this isn't anything new. Moses predicted this way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Maybe you can read the whole chapter, the Song of Moses. In fact, Paul quotes that chapter in Romans 10. Look at Romans 10, 19. He says, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. He's talking about the Gentiles. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So this cycle is really important of how God is going to save the Jewish people. And it's repeated again and again in the book of Acts. We see it. Jewish jealousy because of Gentile conversion. And again, this is all happening through the first century ministry of the Apostle Paul, not thousands of years down the road. The fullness of the Jews here is the remnant. It's the sum that will be saved in verse 14. It's the full number of elect Jews throughout history that will be saved. And their acceptance, he says, is like life from the dead. Now, I don't think he's talking about final resurrection here because you'll notice that verses 13 and 14 are tied to verse 15 because verse 15 starts with this word for 
or because. And so 15 explains 13 and 14. The saving of some of the Jews, the remnant, is like life from the dead. Just like in Ephesians 2, remember that we were once spiritually dead and now we've been made alive. He even used this imagery already in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. There in the second half, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's how God plans to save. So then third, we have a warning to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. Chapter 11, verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So as... Gentiles are saved. Gentiles must not become arrogant, must not become cocky. We've got to remind ourselves we're saved by grace through faith. This is not our achievement. This is not because we've earned it. We've got to remember our place. We just ride on the coattails of the promises of God. And specifically, the promises to the patriarchs. I think that's what the root is. The root here is the promises to the patriarchs. And so we don't support the root. The root supports us. How could we become arrogant? The olive tree here, the picture, that's Israel. That's the people of God, starting with Abraham and now including Gentiles, as we saw in chapter 9 and chapter 10. And Paul's point here in this metaphor of an olive tree is to show there's one people of God. There's unity. And so he says, Gentiles, stay humble. Don't get proud. Keep believing. And then there's a warning that we all need to hear. Keep believing or you will be cut out. That's what he says. Do not presume. He says, yes, note the kindness of God, but also note the severity of God. We've got to have both. You know, there's a lot of people talking about the kindness of God today. There's very few teachers and preachers that talk about the severity of God. Now, that's changed, right? Fifty years ago, we had maybe only the severity of God with hellfire and brimstone and turn or burn. But he says, don't presume on his kindness, but remain vigilant. Stay faithful. Now, we've got to ask here. We don't have time to pursue it for long, but we've got to ask, is he saying you could lose your salvation? Didn't we just read in Romans chapter 8? That's not that long ago. Didn't we just read this? I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's give Paul the benefit of the doubt, right? He's a very logical thinker. He's not contradicting himself from what he just said a couple chapters earlier. 
He's not talking about losing your salvation, but he's talking about the revealing of counterfeits. False faith. It's a reality. All over the New Testament and all over Abilene, Texas, what James calls demon faith in James chapter 2, shows who was true. 1 John 2.19 is the most helpful verse in this regard. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain. That's what I mean by counterfeits revealed. They went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Because if they had been of us, genuine Christians, they would have stayed. Remember, friends, it's not how we start. It's how we finish. Perseverance to the end is a hallmark of all God's true children. A faith that fizzles before the finish was false from the first. And so what's he saying? Don't be arrogant, Gentile Christians. Fourth, we have the mystery in verse 25. It says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, the amount of ink used to comment on this one verse is staggering. And really because there are so many different theological perspectives that people bring into these verses. So it's extremely debated. Let me paraphrase what I think Paul's saying here in this verse. I think it means this. I want you to know about this mystery. The way God is saving Israel is this. Part of them have been hardened, which will continue until God saves all the Gentiles he intends to save. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. First, he says this mystery and mystery in Paul's writing is not the way we think of mystery. Mystery means something that was previously hidden that's now been revealed. Actually, in the book of Romans, he gives us a pretty good definition. If you want to flip over a couple pages to Romans chapter 16, verse 25, he tells us he does the same thing in Ephesians 3. He defines it for us. 1625 says, now to him who's able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. So mystery is something that was previously disclosed. It wasn't clear. There were hints, but it wasn't clear in the Old Testament, but now it's been revealed. And the mystery here is the way God is saving Israel. No one expected this sequence of events to go down. Some Jews hardened, some Gentiles saved, causing more Jews to get saved, leading to more Gentiles getting saved. That's the mystery. Part of Israel has been hardened. This is not a temporary hardening. It's a quantitative hardening. Part of them is hardened. In fact, literally, it means that it says this, a hardening from part in Israel. This is what Paul says in other places. Let me read 2 Corinthians three fourteen. Speaking of the Jewish people, their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
This is what really we've seen before, right, friends? Look at chapter 11, verse 7. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. Some have been hardened. Some, but not all. And that's what Paul showed in chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So he has rejected some, but not all. There's a remnant. And then there's this word until, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Meaning all the elect Gentiles will be saved throughout history. This word until means this will be the state of things throughout this present era until God wraps it up. Until God saves all the Gentiles he plans to save. He uses the same word until real similarly in several places. I just want to mention two. He mentions it with regard to the Lord's Supper. He says we, as we continually celebrate the Lord's Supper, will do so until he comes. We proclaim the Lord's death. So this will be the state of things throughout the whole present era. We'll do the Lord's Supper throughout history all the way up until the end. Or here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25. Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So this hardening of a portion of Israel will endure this whole present era until the end of history. This is the mystery that's being revealed. It's the process, the way God is saving Israel. All right, you tracking with me? Sit up from your couch, get some coffee, push pause, come back. Almost finished. Number five, all Israel saved. Look at verse 26. And in this way, everything he said, by this manner, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, quote, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also now may receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. In this way, by this manner, through this process, this mystery, all Israel will be saved. The process that he's laid out all in chapter 11 of part of Israel being hardened, some being saved due to jealousy of Gentiles being saved. And in that way, God will save the remnants, all elect Israel throughout history. That's been the point the whole chapter. Remember, that's how we started. Not every single Israelite but the true Israel within the Israel, right? Let me read it again. It's chapter nine, verse six. It kicks off this section. It's not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. There is a true Israel within the Israel. That's what he's calling the remnant. Look at chapter 11, verse seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. 
And then right after that, Paul quotes the Old Testament as he so often does. And he combines several Old Testament passages here. He combines Isaiah 59, Isaiah 27, and Jeremiah 31. And there's a common theme from all three of those passages. And that is they're new covenant passages. They speak future tense in terms of the Old Testament, past tense for us. They speak of a time when the coming deliverer will come and take away sins by means of a covenant. He's talking about the new covenant. And Jeremiah 31 is that passage about the new covenant. It's what we celebrate every time we take the Lord's Supper. The deliverer has come. He has forgiven our sins. And again, so many interpreters assume these verses are about the future, but it should be clear from all these time indicators and is clear from these new covenant passages that this verse is about the coming redeemer in his first coming, not his second coming. New covenant passages and the new covenant was inaugurated through the first coming of Jesus. So what's the point here? God will never completely forsake Israel. It's what he says in 11.1 and 11.11, and he shows us how. There will always be a remnant throughout history until the Lord returns. God has not rejected Israel, and they are not fully hardened. The sum total of all the remnant will be saved through the new covenant work of Jesus by virtue of being jealous of the Gentiles. That's the mystery that's being revealed here. In verse 28, he says that, they're enemies for your sake, meaning they're opposed to the gospel and it's spreading. But as regards election, they're loved. They have the gifts. If you remember way back in chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, that's what he says. They have the adoption and they have the covenants and the law and the patriarchs and from their race, the Messiah. So God has not totally rejected Israel. They've not fallen. They have not. To answer the question of verse 11, they have not fallen beyond recovery. Why? Because of God's promises and here because of God's mercy. Mercy to all, all without distinction, not all without exception. So has God rejected his people? Not those whom he foreknew. And he is saving them through the process of saving Gentiles, making them jealous. And in this way, he will save the remnant through the work of Jesus. So God is still saving Jewish people. Therefore, we must be about mission to Jewish people. Paul sure was. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to him. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And there's different opinions. Many consider it not PC to evangelize, proselytize Jewish people. In fact, the Pope has even said that. Well, that is just flat wrong. Some people say that it's anti-Semitic to try and convert Jewish people. But listen, friends, not sharing Jesus is actually more anti-Semitic. God promises to keep saving Jewish people throughout the end of the age, and he does so only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we have sixth and finally the doxology. Look at chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. After all of this theology, so much deep, rich gospel theology in Romans chapter 1 through 11, how can you reply? Paul burst into spontaneous praise. Theology 
should lead to doxology, that is to praise. And there can be no true doxology without theology. We cannot worship that which we do not know. All true worship is a response, a wholehearted response, as we'll see in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, to who God has revealed himself to be. The glorious theology of Romans leads Paul to bust out in praise. He has this experiential reaction. I wonder if you do. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. His riches are deep. Don't doubt that during this time. His wisdom is deep. His knowledge is deep. No one can add to it. We do not teach him. He teaches us. He needs no counsel. He owns it all. The cattle on a thousand hills. He's never stifled by a lack of resources. You who are struggling or will struggle, keep that in mind. He don't bounce checks. You ever have to write a check? Hey, don't cash that till Monday. Not God. He needs no advisors. From him and through him and to him are all things. How can we be a panicked people? This is our God. He is the origin. He is the sustainer. He is the reason for it all. Therefore, all the glory belongs to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, your faithfulness to your promise. In some ways, these are really deep waters and maybe seem disconnected from where we are. Help us to see that these are your promises and therefore they are extremely important for us today. You keep your promises. You're faithful. Lord, I pray that you would remind those of that, that are worried, that are filled with anxiety, that are sick, that are overworked, that are suffering financially, that you are a faithful God. And Lord, may we be a people who so love you and so center our lives on you that we provoke jealousy among our unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. And God, we do continue to ask that you would stop the spread of this virus. Pray that you would keep Abilene safe as it is of, of today, or at least on Thursday. Keep it safe, Lord. May we be wise. Would you continue to provide hope and healing? Pray for those in medical professions who are struggling. We pray for our people who are at risk, Lord. Would you keep them safe? In the midst of it all, Lord, amidst the uncertainty, would you be our hope? Would you be the solid rock upon which we stand? Lord, would you end this? Would you bring us back to normal so we might gather again? corporately to sing your praises. Prayed in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.